Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, getting ready for the World Series of Poker, which begins, believe it or not, next week. I won't be there for the very beginning, but I will be there shortly thereafter, October 6th. I have a full schedule of events planned, mostly at the Rio, where I can play with no mask on because of the vaccination mandate that we discussed in last week's episode. Uh, I am surprised to learn recently that Mike the Mouth Matisau is planning to play in this year's World Series of Poker. Uh, The reason I'm so surprised is because if anyone uh, follows Mike on Twitter and other social media, he is about as far-right Republican, anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-everything as (laughs) you can imagine someone being. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of it all, but I am surprised that Mike will be playing I'm surprised that he's vaccinated, so that's why I'm surprised that he is planning to play. The only reason uh, he's in the news this week is because he is selling a package for all of his World Series of Poker tournaments that includes a very, very high markup. Uh, There was some drama back and forth with different players expressing their opinions, and some people reached out to me, how do I feel about professional players or famous players anyway, charging very high markup on their action. Uh, I I don't really think it's a problem. I believe in the free market. I think that uh, caveat emptor applies, meaning buyer beware. Uh, Just because someone is a famous player that you may or may not have seen on television or on a live stream, does not mean that that player is necessarily a person of integrity. Uh, Before you start handing your money out to someone just to say, I had a piece of this professional player that I recognized, you might want to consider whether or not you are making a good investment or not. I personally would never bet on Mike Matisau if he is playing in a high-stakes buy-in, like a 10K mixed-game event or even the main event, at the World Series of Poker. I think that the game has very much passed Mike by. He is entirely too tight. He plays a very scared, very timid, very nitty style these days. So where he might have a large number of caches playing in that style, he is extremely unlikely to win significant prizes in the World Series. I would be glad to give anybody 3-1 to one or 4-1 to one against him winning a bracelet of any kind this year. I don't expect any of you to hit me up and ask for for, for that action. But uh, if you want to, I'm on Twitter at Clayton Comic, and I'd love to hear from you. I believe that the power of the free market is that if you can get a certain price for a certain thing, that's the price of that thing. For example, suppose you have a, a nice work of art in your in your home, say it's a a Picasso even, something very expensive. 
And you might tell people, you know, this Picasso is priceless, or you might say it's worth $9 million or whatever, you know. The bottom line is, unless someone is actually going to hand you $9 million for that painting, it's not worth $9 million if that's not really what you can get for it. Uh, I don't have a problem with anyone selling anything for any price. And I know some of you will disagree with that. This might be a, a somewhat libertarian viewpoint of mine. But yeah, I really don't have an issue with this. I mean, I think if you give Mike Matasal your money to play poker with, that's a mistake. Uh, whether it's a, at a markup or even at even money, I don't believe that he is a profitable player in today's game. Now, having a piece of someone that you're pretty sure will end up on television or on a live stream might have uh, an entertainment value for you outside of you believing that to have a positive expected value. Uh, but that's up to you and that's up to the seller and the buyer. And I don't really pile on with these conversations because I actually think that it's none of my business what Mike Matisau sells his action for. Uh, a lot of poker players are policing this stuff, maybe with the spirit of trying to protect the unaware sucker who might be willing to give someone too much money for a piece of the action. But to me, that's none of our business and we should all stay out of it. All that said, I am not selling action for my World Series of Poker this year. Although if I did, I imagine I would probably have to pay you to take some. All right, before we get into our continuing hand history review of my recent final table performance in the Boski special on ACR, which if before you get too excited, it was an $11 buy-in uh, with, with like 1,600 players. So, uh, But yeah, don't, don't think that I final tabled something huge. Uh, I do want to talk about a tournament that I am extremely, and I mean extremely, excited to play that is not part of the World Series of Poker. And of course, you know I'm talking about the Windfall Classic Mystery Bounty event. I am so excited for this event. Uh, I, I love the idea of taking the payout structure of a typical No Limit Hold'em multi-table tournament, which lately in the last few years has more and more rewarded players who don't take a lot of chances and just try their best to survive as long as possible and maybe wait for the nuts until they get dwindled down to a few chips. And even then, they try to hang around just long enough to climb the ladder one more little pay jump. Well, taking that whole pay structure and turning it right on its head, rewarding people who choose to gamble a little bit, to me, this is very exciting. So let me tell you about this tournament. It is a two-day event with three starting days, the first of which is Monday, October 11th, and this is going to be at the Wynn Casino, where they do not have a vaccination mandate, so you will be required to wear a mask unless the rules change in the next couple of weeks until this tournament begins. But yeah, I'm super excited to play this thing. I may even buy in more than once. It's a $2,200 total cost to enter, which is a $2,000 buy-in with a $200 entry fee, of which $145 is for the casino and $55 goes to the poker staff. Now, I like this structure. It's a 10% rake. 
Uh, I don't care how you split up my rake. I like the tip, the staff surcharge, whatever you want to call it, being included in the buy-in so that if I happen to go really deep in this thing, I don't feel obligated to throw the dealers an extra five dollars or $10,000. The event has a $2 million guaranteed prize pool of which at least 700000 will be in the bounty prize pool. Now, the way this one's going to work is that if you survive on to day two, which again is taking place on October 14th, everyone who survives to day two will become a mystery bounty. So the bounty on your head will not be known until after it is collected. And the bounty prizes range in value from $500 all the way up to $250,000 just for that one bounty. Um, other prizes are $1,2500, 5K, 10K, all the way up to the big bounty, which is 250000 Part of me is hoping that not that many people enter this tournament and not that many people make it to day two so that they will have to put some of those bigger numbers in there just to make sure that they award at least $700,000 worth of bounties. Now, I understand that traffic to Las Vegas is down. Uh, many tourists who were planning to go this fall have canceled their trips because they don't want to be forced to wear masks or to get vaccinated to play in the World Series of Poker or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, and that is also evidenced by the unbelievably cheap airfare I was able to grab for my trip upcoming, as well as many, many hotel rooms being available now that were not available prior to the government there announcing the mask mandate for the casinos. So there is some chance that this $2 million guarantee will actually have an overlay. And that would mean that if I managed to make it to day two, I would have a better chance than ever of possibly collecting that big quarter million dollar mystery bounty, which I've been excited about ever since I thought the World Series of Poker was going to be doing this uh, when they first announced the schedule pre-pandemic. I really like how the win took over this event and they've made it their own and I'm very excited to play in that. Maybe more excited than I am for the actual main event at the Rio in November, which I'm also definitely going to be playing. And of course, as you guys know, I'm not the tightest player in the world and I think that bounty tournaments tend to reward players who are a little bit more aggressive, take a few more chances. And so that's certainly the category into which I happen to fit. So I'm looking forward to playing. Hopefully I'll run good, collect a bunch of bounties, and then find out how much they're all worth afterwards. Should be a lot of fun. Great way to combine poker and gambling. So super fired up about that. Excited to play at the Rio, the Venetian, and the Win next month. Uh, right now, I've been busy doing lots and lots of comedy. I have a new, I guess, what you could call a home club. That's a term comedians use for just the club in the city where they live, where they perform the most. Now, I do shows all over town, but lately I've been getting quite a few bookings from this great place called West Side Comedy Club. As a matter of fact, if you're in New York City this weekend... I will be appearing at Westside Comedy Club on 75th in Amsterdam Friday and Saturday night. And you can get tickets at westsidecomedyclub.com. So I'm, I'm having a lot of fun working there. It's a great club. Last week we had 
uh, Bill Burr stopped by and work on some material for an upcoming special that he's rehearsing. And he had a friend with him that many of you would recognize, a guy named Jerry Seinfeld. So we had the uh, the luminaries in the building and most of the comedians were just trying not to pee their pants seeing their heroes walk in the door. So yeah, I'm trying to get as much of that in as I possibly can uh, before I leave for the series because the truth is once I get to Vegas, unless we happen to arrange some kind of comedy night for the poker players, I will mostly be focused all day, all night, and even in my dreams on my other career, which is card player. So uh, I, I like to try to get as much comedy in right before I leave for the series. The only difference this year is that it's already like late September, early October before I head out there. And normally this would all be happening kind of late spring. So uh, very familiar to me, this futile attempt to try to get comedy out of my system knowing that I won't be able to have many performing opportunities while I'm going to be busy, hopefully, final tabling every single tournament that I play all fall. I almost said summer, but I'm learning. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm just doing as much as I can now and enjoying it, knowing that I'm going to have a big comedy break for about six weeks, beginning October the 6th. Uh, last thing I want to tell you guys is if you have Poker Go!, you can see me do commentary for the 3K Freeze Out WSOP event on Poker Go on October 8th. So I will be in the booth with, I believe, David Tuckman. It's always a great time when Tuck and I get together. All right, well, enough of these pipe dreams of me winning a quarter million dollars just for busting one player at the win. Let's get back to basics and talk some more about this $11 buy-in on ACR, the Boski special. So this thing has a $15,000 guarantee, which they actually did reach uh, on this occasion. Uh, I'm the chip leader with 200 players left. We're deep into the money. I believe the money started somewhere around 300 players. Uh, yeah, the, the prize right now is probably like 20 bucks, though, because it takes a long time before the prizes get even a little bit significant in these ACR tournaments that pay 15 to 20% of the field, and therefore the payouts move up very, very gradually. So it's not like the min cash is triple your buy-in or something like that. The min cash is actually just a little bit more than the buy-in itself. Anyway, the levels here with 200 players left, 2,200, 4,400, with a 550 ante per player. We're at a seven-handed table, and the action folds to me in the cutoff, holding the ace of clubs, six of diamonds. Yeah, so I think that this is an open... I mean, I'm pretty much opening every ace. I shouldn't say pretty much. At most tables, if it's folded to me in the cutoff and I have an ace, I'm going to open the pot. Maybe if I'm really concerned about the three betting tendencies of the players on my left, I might tighten that up a little bit and just open this hand only on the button. But really, if they are three bet crazy, I have a good blocker with my ace and I can actually four bet light once in a while to neutralize that and punish the mistake that they're making by three betting too often and too light. So that, that wasn't really the type of table 
this was, you don't really encounter those super aggressive, like really difficult tables in your uh, $11 buy-ins. Uh, so yeah, I, I decided to open. I just did the minimum, made it 8800 and the Button folded and the blinds both called. Now, the small blind is actually second in chips in this tournament. I have 144,000, and he's right behind me with 130. Uh, the big blind, who also called, has only 31K. So he's got actually just seven big blinds in his stack. So uh, we don't expect him to have a very strong hand very much here. He's probably calling just because he's priced in but he's probably got a marginal hand that he didn't want to shove. It's incredibly unlikely that he has Ace-X or any pair. He's probably got two-suited anything or something like that. So uh, anyway, three of us see the flop. And with about 30K in the middle, it comes King of Diamonds, Five of Clubs, Five of Diamonds. And my opponents check to me. Again, I'm holding the Ace of Clubs and six of diamonds. So, yeah, I mean, my hand could be good here. It's unlikely that I can get both of these guys to fold with a single flop C-bet if I am behind right now on King 5-5. Five five. Uh, it's the kind of flop that doesn't hit very many hands. I suppose it's a bit better for my range than that of my opponent's. And having the six of diamonds in my hand is a somewhat significant card because it does block flush draws. So let's talk about the opponents. The small blind, who again is second in chips in this tournament that I was actually chip leader in, is a Lithuanian uh, amateur, as far as I can tell. Uh, he's very, very loose aggressive. He's been doing quite a bit of three betting, check raising. Um, he's running... 37 27 uh <laughs> those hud stats are for players that play way too many hands and play them too aggressively so that's the best way i can describe this fellow the big blind is almost a polar opposite of him he is a tight and very passive sort of player as you can sort of see by the fact that he didn't shove pre-flop with whatever he has but was willing to call passively and is probably not going to make any moves here on the flop. So those are our opponents. Does that change your mind at all about whether or not we should see bet? I mean, I think that betting this flop is fine to end the hand and to take away equity from uh, hands I'm currently beating, but that have significant outs against me. Maybe something like Jack 10 with a diamond might fold to a flop bet something like that, which, I mean, we are ahead of that hand, but that doesn't mean we don't benefit from getting it to go into the muck because that hand and similar hands, they have a decent amount of equity versus my ace high. So yeah, I would if I do bet here, I want those hands to fold even though I'm technically ahead of them. Uh, I think the play here is just to check and possibly do a similar protection bet on the on a blank turn a non-diamond turn that doesn't seem to help anyone. And if they both check again, then you could maybe do like a delayed continuation bet on 4th Street. I think that's better. Uh, In-game, what I decided to do 
is go a little bigger than pot just because our opponent in the big blind has 31k when there's 30,250 in the pot. So I bet that much expecting him to fold everything other than a king or a five. Uh, and then, of course, the small blind being as loose as he is, uh, I need to bet a little bigger to get him to fold a little bit more of his range. And I'll be honest with you guys, I don't like it. I think checking is a much better play here. I should check behind in position and see what happens on the turn, both in terms of the card that comes out and in terms of how my opponents respond to it. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of my play here, but I did make a slightly larger than pot size bet. And the small blind, the bigger stack, called and the big blind folded. So now we are in position, heads up in what is now a very inflated pot. There's 95K in there. And the turn comes the four of spades. So our board is now king, five, five, four with two diamonds. Our opponent checks once again. I don't know about you guys, but when I make a pot size bet, actually a little bigger than a pot size bet, and somebody calls me with another player yet to act behind him, I typically give up because that is just such a huge red flag, sign of strength. I think the worst this player could ever have in this situation is a flush draw, and I'm not even sure that he should be calling with that because it's a paired board, there's a player yet to act, and I made a pot size bet. So probably flush draws should be folding a lot, not to say that this guy would have folded a flush draw, uh, but yeah, he's probably going to have a king a lot, or maybe a, a big pair like pocket tens, pocket jacks, which sure, they might fold if I just keep firing and firing and firing, but is that really the game you want to play with 200 players left in the tournament when you're up against the only other big stack at your table? I think not. So I check behind. And then the river is the six of spades. And remember, we have ace six. So we've now made a hand on the end. Final board of king five, five, four, six. Hero holding the ace six. And the flush did not come in. And now into 95K, our opponent leads 40K. And it, the action is on Clayton. Look. You guys know I'm not a big folder, especially against a player who is known to bluff, as this one is. He's very loose-aggressive, as I mentioned. Uh, just the problem is, when he calls the flop, I feel like the hand-reading that needs to come into play is, it's such a strong call. It's got to be a strong hand. So even though this bet offers me better than 3-1 to one on my money, I mean, in this spot, I need about 22% win percentage in order to make calling this bet profitable or uh, break even rather, excuse me. Uh, I don't think I'm getting that. I think that he announced that he has a big hand on the flop and I'm just going to have to believe him. I know occasionally he may have a busted flush draw and so my six might actually be good once in a while, but I don't think it's as often as 22%. Even against a player like this one, I decided to fold and I kind of kicked myself after this one. I lost a lot more than I needed to with that oversized flop bet. Uh, there's nothing that 31,000 does on that flop that 10,000 doesn't as far as the big blind and I are concerned. He's not going to peel 
and see what happens unless he has at least a king. So not too happy with how I played that hand. I feel like a lot of times I, I, I only review hands that I'm proud of here on the podcast. I know that's not exactly true, but it, it feels that way sometimes. And I don't want this, especially these solo episodes to ever turn into uh, you know, a sick brag podcast where I just tell you all how great I am at poker week after week. I make countless mistakes each and every time I sit down to play. I always do my best, but the game is super hard and even great players, of which I am not one, but even great players make tons of mistakes when they go out to play. So uh, this was a hand that I would like to have back and I lost more than I needed to, but I am glad I did not compound my mistake by making a bad call, what I think would have been a bad call on the river. All right, let's do one more hand from this same tournament. Let's fast forward to when there were only 50 players left. Big prize up top, over 3200 in this $11 buy-in. Now, that's a pretty good ROI if you can get it. Uh, in this hand, the blinds are 3500 7K with an 850 ante, and we're at an eight-handed table. Uh, we have 350000 which is exactly 50 times the big blind. And that's good for 11th place currently with 50 remaining. Under the gun with pocket kings. Uh, this is not the same table that we were discussing in the previous hand. Uh, a different table, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it as we go. But we are first to act under the gun with pocket kings. Uh, again, 3507K, and we have 350K. The other stacks at our table now range anywhere from 60K to another good size stack of almost 300,000 at our table. Um, so they're kind of all over the place. I mean, we're obviously going to play the Kings, and I'm not a big fan of the limp three bet back raise kind of strategy that you saw a lot more, you know, five or 10 years ago, but some people still do it. What I will say about that strategy is if you have it and you want to play your aces that way under the gun, you need to make sure that you're not always doing it with only aces and kings. You would need to have other hands in the mix there, maybe like an ace five of clubs and a nine eight of hearts just to kind of have a little more board coverage and just know how to not be too exploitable, I guess. You know, maybe you could mix like an ace king in once in a while if you like to play your aces or your kings this way because it's easy to represent aces or kings when you have ace king because you have blockers that make it less likely that any of your opponents have the hands that you're trying to represent yourself so anyway i don't do that i like to min raise it here um i just make it fourteen thousand, and i'm hoping that one of the short stack shoves obviously beat them into the pot with pocket kings pre-flop uh, it folds all the way around to the small blind, and he's got 180,000. And the big blind also calls, and he's got 270,000. So he's the third biggest stack at this table. So three of us are going to see a flop, and it's 10 of hearts, eight of spades, four of clubs. Not a lot of hands on either of these guys. I've only been at this table for a couple of hands. So the little bit of data that I have on these two opponents is not substantial. What is substantial is this tournament started with almost 1,600 players 
and we're down to just 50. All right, so it's 1085 rainbow. And to my surprise, the small blind leads out for 24,000, roughly half the pot. The pot is 49K. Uh, the big blind folds, and now the action is on hero with the overpair of kings on 1084. A strange flop for him to take this line. I don't mind having a leading range when you have multi multi-way action on the flop and you're out of position with like a flush draw or a combo draw. You want to balance that out with some value like two pair or a set some of the time. If you like to lead, that's totally fine. But this board doesn't offer that many draws. I suppose he could be doing this with uh, a hand like queen jack suited with a backdoor of some kind. So maybe because like the, the 10 is a heart. So if he has let's say queen jack of hearts, then I don't mind this play because he has a gut shot. He has two over cards. He's got the backdoor flush draw, actually the backdoor straight flush draw with that exact hand. That's totally cool. But I don't know. Um, I don't know in practice in a tournament uh, at this buy-in level, what kind of range we can expect our opponents to make this play with. Um, long story short, we, we our hand is way too strong to fold. And I don't really see much point in raising because we really want to keep all those bluffs in, as far as I can tell. So I just call, and now with 97,000 in the pot, and our opponent with about 156k in his stack, the uh, turn comes the jack of spades. So our board is now 10-8-4 jack with both the jack of spades and the eight of spades. Uh, hero with king of hearts, king of diamonds. So we don't block any flush draws, but we do block some straight draws such as king nine and king queen. So uh, the small blind leads again, this time firing 50,000 into the 97,000 pot, and he's only got another 106 behind. Look, guys, if you want to fold, you can fold. Um, I don't know. This is not a great board. There are a lot of straights possible. Um, you know, He's showing tremendous strength, especially for this stage in the tournament with only 50 players left. Uh, we created an SPR on the flop of about three and a half, effectively. So it's not a great SPR to have with just one pair. And as this board continues to get scarier and scarier, I'm wondering if folding doesn't make sense. Uh, the problem for me is I don't really respect the stakes. I'm in an $11 tournament right now. The pay jump that we're on is something like, I don't know, $48 or something like that. And I'm just, I'm not, maybe in the main event, this would work against me if you seemed like the type of player that wouldn't fire again, having donk led the flop unless he picked up another pair or more equity of some kind on the turn. Uh, maybe against a player like that, I might want to throw it away. But in this spot, I'm uncomfortable. But the good news is I'm in position and I still have an over pair. So we made the uncomfortable call. And then with 197,000 in the middle, the river comes the six of diamonds. So this is a very, very significant pot. 
and our opponent shoves all in 106k into 197k and we've got to decide what to do with our pocket kings getting almost three to one on a call and the board is 10 8 4 jack 6 let's see a couple of straight draws missed hands that picked up a flush draw on the turn missed uh, this is just a very very poor spot to be in holding just a pair of kings on this pretty coordinated somewhat wet board i mean the seven nine got there the queen nine got there seven five jack ten pocket fours jack eight uh so many hands that are actually beating us now uh it's not an easy call and it was really really close for me uh i just decided not knowing this opponent and just you know kind of lumping him in with the other players that you will typically encounter in the Boski special, I didn't feel like folding was much better than calling, and it may well have been worse. So I was really, really on the fence. I remember agonizing and timing my whole two minutes that I had accumulated, uh, my whole time bank, just trying to figure out what the heck am I supposed to do. I don't know this guy. He's putting in, just shoveling so many chips into this pot. But I did make the call, and our opponent turns over the ace of spades, ten of spades. So he just had a pair of tens. He did pick up that nut flush draw on the turn. But yeah, give him credit for putting me in a tough spot and for going for it on the river. I just wish that he would do so with either a queen or a nine in his hand. He doesn't really block much with the ace, ten of spades. I, I guess he blocks pocket aces. He blocks pocket tens, but the draws that came in, he doesn't do anything to block any of them. And one thing we should all try to keep in mind that if you have blockers to hands with which your opponent may call, bluffing while holding those cards becomes increasingly more attractive proportionally to how significant those blockers actually are. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, don't forget about our promo code. If you're not yet a member of Tournament Poker Edge, you can get $10 off of your first month's membership just by entering the promo code PODCAST at checkout and save $10 on your first month on what I think is the best value in the world of poker training sites for tournament players. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge... I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Campbell and his fun when you're
Can't read. 